I am curious, how many of you were here two weeks ago Sunday when I spoke, when my wife and I spoke? Four, five, six, okay, so not, not quite half. We kind of started on a topic that I want to continue tonight, so I'm going to go over just a few of the main points from last week, and then we're going to go into a different um, but related concept. So the springboard verse for uh, the launching of what's going to be a, couple, a, a bit of a series here is 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. It says, for we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. God says that we are his co-workers. Another verse says that he calls us his friend. You see, it's interesting that God, the description God gives in the Bible of us and our relationship with him is a cooperative relationship. It isn't one of him simply mandating everything that we do. And we talked a couple weeks ago as I was kind of opening this up. Um, 2 Corinthians 16, 9 says, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, uh, excuse me, throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. We talked about how God is seeking to support those. Who, the, the, the idea we sometimes have is I have to figure out what God is doing, and that's my only option. But God says, I'm looking to find people whose heart is in mine, and I want to cooperate. I want to strongly support them. And a lot of this gets a little bit convoluted because we have this idea that everything that God wills automatically happens. How many of you ever had that thought? Everything that God wills automatically happens. And we talked before, and this is something I wanted to cover real fast for those of you who weren't there, and that is, scripturally, that is not true. It is not true. And it may seem like <clears throat> strange to say that, but everything that God desires does not come to pass. And why does it feel that strange to say? Well, some of us grew up in churches that told us that. Some of us, it just feels disrespectful to think that that would be the case. But this is what John 10 says. It says in verse 10, the devil comes to steal, to kill and destroy. And then Jesus says, but I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. So what is worse? To admit that there are things God desires, but because of free will don't take place, or to ascribe everything that the enemy is doing to God. When you have a philosophy that says everything that happens is what God wanted to happen, then when someone dies of cancer, you get those platitudes, well, I guess God wanted them in heaven more than we wanted them down here. But that's not scriptural. 
attributing the work of the enemy to our precious, glorious Heavenly Father, that is what's blasphemous, to say that He is doing that. There are many examples in the Scripture, and I read these before, so I'm going to go over this quickly. But Matthew chapter 23, verse 37 says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her? How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. This is God speaking to Israel, and he says, I had desires for you, but you were unwilling that I fulfill them. Luke chapter 7, verse 30. This one really stands out to me. It says, but the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purposes for them, not having been baptized by John. Do you realize what that means? That means God had a better purpose for the Pharisees than the role they played in Scripture. Now, I grew up in church. When, when you say Pharisee to me, that is like synonymous with the bad guys. How many of you are with me? When Jesus, he insulted them. He called them whitewashed sepulchers. And all my life, I just had them pictured as the ultimate bad guys. And then I look at the scripture, and the Bible says it was God's greatest desire that they be baptized by John and fulfill a greater purpose. Think about it. But they didn't. Why? Because they chose not to cooperate. They rejected God's purpose for them. How many of you realize we do not want it said of us that we rejected God's purpose? No. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 and 4 says, This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Clear as a bell, God desires that everyone come to the saving knowledge of God and repent. How many of you realize not everyone will? It is clear that there are things that God desires, but that he gave us free will and that it does not happen in any way. The Bible says we are his body on earth. We are whom he will work through. Say that with me. Say, God will work through me. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 through 14 says, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one Spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given to the one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Then verse 27, jumping forward, says, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. God's plan for the world involves every believer. It involves working through and in and with every believer. Ephesians chapter 4 
I like this verse. As a pastor, this is an important verse to me. It says, in verse 11, it says, And he gave the apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Who does the work of the ministry? The saints. Who are the saints? Raise your hand if you're the saints. Okay, if you are here and you have accepted Jesus into your heart, made him the Lord of your life, you are the saints. You are separated unto God for his service. That's who you are. See, what I want to talk about today is what the Bible refers to as the priesthood of the believer. In the Old Testament, there were priests, and then there was what we would refer to as the laity. There were those who had that calling. What, what did the priesthood consist of? It consisted primarily of three things. Access to God, service to God, and representation of God. Say that with me. Say access to God, service to God, and representation of God. In the Old Testament, that's how it worked. But you know what's interesting Let's look at Exodus 19, verse 5 and 6. God is talking to Moses, and he says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandment, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So God says to Moses, Go to Israel and say, I want you to be a kingdom of priests. Less than a chapter later, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 18, it says, Now the people, when the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, this is all where God's presence was. The people were afraid, trembled, and they stood afar. God said, I want a nation of people with access to me who would serve me and represent me. And the people saw the presence of God. They were afraid and they distanced themselves. In verse 19, the next verse, it says, And Moses and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us. Imagine that. Hebrews chapter 12 gives us some detail. It says, You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them. Hebrews describes it and says that the Israelites begged not to be spoken to by God. They said, Moses, we want you to tell us what he said, don't, don't include us directly. We want you to be the mediator. And that's where began the process, the mediation. Moses and then 
the priesthood of the Levites. Now look here, Hebrews chapter 7. I happened to count. I have 28 scriptural references in 30 minutes. So we're going we're gonna to be rocking here. It says Hebrews 7.11 says, If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, and indeed the law given to the people established that priesthood, why was there need for another priest to come? So Hebrews is talking about the Old Testament priests and that method of someone else representing and mediating and going to God, serving God on our behalf, coming back and telling us what God has said. It says, why was it necessary that another priest would come? One in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron. Aaron, Moses' brother, was the first priest, and all the priests that Israel had afterwards were in the order of Aaron. But they said, this is in the order of Melchizedek. For when the priesthood is changed, the law must be changed also. He of whom these things are said belonged to a different tribe, and no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah, and in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. And what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest not on the basis of regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an undestructible life. So what they're saying is there was another priest, but he wasn't part of Aaron's descendants. He came like Melchizedek came not based on that ancestry, but based on an indestructible life, for it is declared you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The former, verse 18, the former regulation is set aside because it is weak and useless, for the law made nothing perfect. Hear that. The law made nothing perfect. And a better hope is introduced. How does the, the Bible describe Jesus? A better hope. It says, a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. Others became priests without any oath, but he became priest with an oath when, he, when God said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. Now, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. He says, Aaron, there were many priests after Aaron, and each of them eventually died. But Jesus lives forever. He has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. What is Jesus always doing? He is always living to intercede for us. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other priests, he did not offer sacrifices day after day for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness. But the oath which came after the law appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. The Bible says that the old priesthood, that the law 
was a shadow of things to come. It says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 14, it says, Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. What did Jesus do? He took down our indebtedness to sin. He nailed it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or regard to a religious festival, a moon or a celebration or a Sabbath day. He says, don't get caught up in the legalistic ideas. Don't let someone judge you because what day you happen to go to church on. Don't let someone judge you because you do or you don't celebrate a certain holiday. Don't let someone judge you because of what the the calendar says, what you eat or don't eat. He says, these are shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is in Jesus Christ. Now, remember what God said about the Israelites to, to Moses. He said, I want a people who will be a people of priests, a kingdom of priests, people who will serve me, who will represent me, and who have access to me. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 through 10 says, As you come in, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also they're talking about Jesus. But then he says, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. Say it with me. I am. Say it louder. I am a living stone. And God is building with me. It says, to be a holy priesthood. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. For it is in the scripture, it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. He says, if you understand, you realize how precious Jesus is. If you don't, then you discard him and you come to find out he was the key to everything. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Say it with me. Say, I am a royal priesthood. God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. I'm going to hit two more verses that talk about our priesthood. Revelation chapter 1 verse 4 through 6. It says to him who loves us and freed us from his from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve God to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. In Revelations chapter 5, I'm going to jump to verse 9. It says, 
Because, speaking to Jesus, it says, because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation, you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. See, in the Old Testament, God was speaking through the priest. You can, you can find accounts when the king wanted to know what did God want. He would call the prophets. He would call, he would call a mediator and he would inquire of the Lord. But that isn't what we do. Because God says he has made us in this new covenant. Now that Jesus is the high priest, he has made us priests. How many of you remember what happened when Jesus died on the cross? The Bible describes that there was an earthquake. And then it says that in the temple, the veil that separated the Holy of Holies. What was the Holy of Holies? The Holy of Holies was where God's tangible presence was. That's where God was. Most tangibly Located. It says that the curtain was ripped from top to bottom. And this is a curtain of fabric like eight inches thick. This is no silk curtain veil, you know, sheer thing you could sort of see through. This was eight inches of, fabric, of, of wool that was torn from top to bottom. What did that symbolize? God said, I am leaving that place. The Bible describes Jesus' body as the new veil. His body being what is between us and God's presence. It was torn because it was no longer only a priest who was going to have access to God. Matthew 27, 50 says, When Jesus cried out, again in a loud voice, he yielded up his spirit. At that moment, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earthquake and the rocks were split. Hebrews 10, 19 tells us this. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have this confidence to enter the, whole, the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain or veil that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with a full assurance that faith brings. Okay, so I have read a lot of scriptures tonight. How many of you noticed? Okay. Now I want to explain it a little bit and how it applies to us. So God's presence required a mediator in the Old Testament. But God said, that's not my plan, that's not my goal. What I want is a people, all of whom have access to God. Each and every one of them. I want, instead of being served, the priest would go and he would speak to God on behalf of the people. He would hear God and go back and speak to the people on behalf of God. When, when there was a sacrifice to be made, when there was a service to be done to God, the priest did it. And the people, they stood back and they just did their normal lives. 
And God said, that's not my plan. I want a kingdom of people who have direct access to me. When Hebrews says that we enter with confidence into the Holy of Holies, just think about what that would have meant to a Jewish person who grew up hearing that once a year the priest was going to go in there with a rope tied around his leg just in case the presence of God knocked him dead. And then to hear Paul saying, hey, we all have confidence to go in because of the blood of Jesus to walk right into his presence. That was just mind-blowing. You're telling me that I have access to God? Yes. Yes, that is what I'm telling you. God designed... The church isn't like the church was then. The priesthood isn't a privileged few with limited access to God. I have the same access to God that you have. In fact, my job isn't to serve God. My job is to teach you to serve God. He says, I am to equip you to do the work. And that's what I want to be doing over these next few weeks is talking about how do we work together with God. Someone was asked me recently about fleeces. Now, how many of you remember the story of Gideon? Gideon took on a major battle for God. He gathered a bunch of people and then God told him, whittle it down, whittle it down. He, he attacked the army of the enemy with only 300 people and won. But before that, when God came to him and said, this is what I want you to do, he famously put out a fleece. This is what it says in Judges chapter 6. So Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, look, I shall put a fleece out of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only and the dry, it is dry on all the ground, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand. So God is talking to Gideon, and Gideon says, I'm not so sure about this. Can you give me a sign? I'm going to put this fleece out, make the fleece wet and the ground dry. And it was so. When he rose up the next morning and squeezed the fleece together, he wrung out the dew of the fleece, a bowl full of water. But the ground was dry. Then Gideon said to God, don't, don't be angry with me, but let me speak just once more. Um, let me test. I pray just once more with the fleece. Let it be dry only on the fleece, but all the ground around let there be dew. And God did so that night. And it was dry in the fleece only, but there was dew on all of the ground. So Gideon is talking to God but wants a sign. God gives him a sign. And in Christian circles, we, we refer as a fleece whenever someone says, I want a sign from God. So you know what? If this is really you, God, have them, you know, if you really want me to take this job, have them call me between 5.30 and 6. You know, Tell the interviewer to wear a red shirt, God. If it's really from you, then... 
and, and when, when people are seeking those signs. And someone was asking about that. And I thought of Romans 8.14. It says, for all those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And I thought about the fact that in the Old Testament, we see the fleece. Why? Because in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit did not dwell inside of each believer. But you and I have something that they didn't have. Do you ever notice what happened when, when Judas betrayed Jesus? The Bible says that the disciples... We're getting right, trying to figure out what to do. It says in Acts chapter 1, this is the beginning of Acts. It says, so they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two have, you have chosen to take over the apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the 11 apostles. So, the disciples, to replace Judas, narrowed it down to two people and couldn't make up their mind. So what did they do? We would call it a fleece. They cast lots. The rest of us maybe have never heard that term before. Basically, they rolled the dice. They said, God, you, you pick it. And then they, they, rose, they rolled the dice to see what would happen. But here's what's interesting. That's the last time we see that. The disciples don't ever do that again. When the Holy Spirit comes, just a few days later, every time they have to make a decision after that, we get verbiage like this. Acts 15, 28. It says, And it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. See, God sent the Holy Spirit. He said, it is better that I leave so that the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, will come. How many remember that verse? He says, it's, you're better off with the Holy Spirit than you were with me by your side. God speaks to us. John chapter 14, 26 says, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. He is speaking to us through our spirit. John 16, 13 says, When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Why don't the disciples use fleeces anymore? Because they have something better. The Bible says, my sheep know my voice. You know what cannot be, um, the word is fraudulent, the, what can't be faked, counterfeited, that's the word I was looking for, counterfeited, is the voice of the Holy Spirit. Someone asked, does God use fleeces anymore? He can. He could. Think of it this way. If you were at war, which the Bible describes us as being in, in a war, 
and you had to get critical messages to your captains, would you send it with one of the enemy soldiers? Here, let's use the postal service of the, the enemy to deliver the message. Not really. Not if you had a direct line. You see, God, I believe that the reason God does not encourage us after the Holy Spirit came to use fleeces is because I have so much, things so much better. Has God used a fleece and given someone a sign since the New Testament? I believe he has. I know he has. But is that what he instructs us to do? No, he says, you'll know my voice. He says, those who are led by the Spirit of the God are the sons of God. He says, Galatians 5.18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Romans 8.26, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 says, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. So, I want to paint a picture of what we as Christians should live like. We are priests. Say it with me. I am a priest. So that means you have access to God. You serve God. And God speaks through you. His voice is within you. He is leading you by His Spirit. When we get together at church, what are we here for? A coaching session on how to go out and be the salt and the light. How to be a blessing to the world, to show them who he is. We are priests. To me, that is an exciting reality to own, to understand, to recognize that I can go to other people in, in the church and I can learn from people. But God has called me to serve. God has called me to speak to him and to speak on his behalf to others. That is the role that God has given each and every one of us. We're going to continue next week talking about how to co-labor with God. Chapter, I'm just going to close with John 10, 27. It says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I want to encourage you to practice listening to God. Practice listening to God. Ask God 
questions. Solomon did. David did. He would, he would, you read the Psalms, he asks God questions all the time. Some of us are like, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what his voice sounds like. Have you asked him anything? Start small. Work your way up. Practice asking God questions. Say, God, I want to know. Start asking and then listening for that leading and then follow where it goes and see what happens. Then come back, tell us all about it. We're going to close. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you. I thank you that you desire a personal connection with each and every one of us, that you have made us a kingdom of priests, that we have access to you. Thank you for it. Lord, I pray that that reality will sink into each and every one of us. Lord, I pray that we would act accordingly. That everywhere we go, we would recognize that we represent you. I pray your blessing on everyone here. I ask that your Holy Spirit, the voice of your Holy Spirit, would be, the volume would be turned up in each of our hearts. That we would recognize that voice. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, you will be saved. How many of you know you've been saved? Awesome. If you don't know, the Bible says you don't, doesn't say wait and find out. It says know that you have salvation. You can know by simply following what the Scripture says. Believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. If you're here and you don't know where you stand with God, you're just not sure. Maybe you fell away. Maybe you've never approached. But you say, I want to leave here 100% confident of where I am with God. With every eye closed for just a moment, I'm going to ask you to be brave. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. And then after that, I'm going to pray that prayer with you. So if you're here today and you say, I, I don't know for sure where I stand, but I want to leave here confident that I am right with God, raise your hand right now. Is there anybody here? See one? Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, repeat after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus died on the cross after living a perfect, sinless life. I believe he paid the price for my sin. Then he rose from the dead. That he is my high priest, always interceding. I make you the Lord of my life. Thank you for forgiving me. In Jesus' name, amen.